Tracy. What do you want? You're wonderful. It's like that movie. What movie? I love you. Nothing else matters. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. Can't be anything like love, can it? No. That's a chick's movie. I would say so. Everyone, welcome back to romcom.com. Today I have two very special guests joining me, Corey Ecker. Hey, howdy, hey. And a familiar face, Caitlin Terry. Hi. So today we're going to be covering 1977's Annie Hall, directed by Woody Allen. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis before we get too far into the podcast. Just a warning, there will be spoilers. Alvy Singer, a divorced Jewish comedian, reflects on his relationship with ex-lover Annie Hall, an aspiring nightclub singer which ended abruptly, just like his previous marriages. So, Corey, so Caitlin, your first time viewing Annie Hall, it's one of my favorites. I'm gonna put that out there. I love this movie. They just did the, that face where they're like, really? So tell me what your thoughts were. I'm curious to know why you like it so much. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I feel like it didn't really stand out to me that much. He played around with a lot of visual mm. things, like the out-of-body experience and, like, the animated parts. Yeah. And just, like, the kids talking to the camera as a Breaking the fourth wall. There's that scene where, you know, they're speaking to one another, but there's, um closed caption saying what's going on in their yes. heads. Yes, yes. Yeah. I thought it was creative. It's it a very, very experimental creative. comedy, mm-hmm. almost high concept with um, the amount of like experimental things they do. So you noticed these things, but you weren't, you didn't think they were to elevate the story. I mean, honestly, the plot was not as intriguing as I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. I felt like it sort of drug along in some parts mm-hmm. but i think that's kind of what made the movie unique like almost like the awkwardness yeah of them just rambling <laughs> on to each other sometimes they were yeah. awkward yeah in my opinion like i even said because berkeley and i watched it together their interactions are kind of making me uncomfortable they made several movies together before this one this was not their first collaboration really? they were old friends i think that's mm-hmm. why she was cast as annie not that like they didn't have good chemistry. I think that was kind of part of the point, right? Was for yeah. the interactions to be different and yeah. odd. I but feel like it was did... a little bit realistic. Yeah, it did its job. I just kind of fell awkward watching it. Yes. Like I was part of that just I felt like I was intruding. odd conversation. Yeah. So I was intruding. But doesn't that mean it's effective if you yeah. feel this discomfort watching these two people interact, but it's almost more like, ah, I shouldn't be seeing this. I guess, short answer, Corey, you didn't like it. You know, I feel like if I were to watch it again and really try to appreciate it, yeah, I feel like it's not that I didn't like it. It mm-hmm. was just different than what I was used to. So this was the first time I've ever been able to watch one of the movies I'm covering with someone who's going to be on the podcast. I was watching it with Caitlin, and she by no means was, like, enthralled in it. Like, you were not. <laughs> but I did notice, because you were trying to work on some homework, but I did yeah. notice you couldn't help, but every now and then you were a little intrigued. You were engaged by it at some points. I definitely didn't really get any homework done, <laughs> because I was intrigued and I was watching it. I don't think I gave it the attention that I could have, like Corey said, but I was watching, and I you know, wanted to see what happened next. I wanted to see the ending. It just didn't have as big of an effect on me that I think it did on, it does on you. Mm-hmm. 
So, also full disclosure, because we're going to talk about this, Woody Allen's a very controversial figure. Rightfully so. There's right. a lot to unpack here, especially when you criticize this movie. There's a lot to be said about how do you separate an artist from his work. My professor, who I uh, do this podcast for, but <laughs> he, he, he mentioned to me when I first did this project that there was one movie on the list that he thought had aged very poorly when he went back to revisit it. And he didn't tell me which one, but I have an inkling it may be this one. Um, and... If it's not this one, he can definitely support me by saying that Woody Allen is an interesting guy that we will talk about because I think his legacy sadly tarnishes this movie, this movie for me in a way that I really wish it didn't. But my question for you is knowing how much I love this movie, does that make sense to you? Yes. Do you, does, I can see, do you see the connection this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's very different and it's very like quirky and <laughs> unique, you know, and there's so much, it's so complex. Yeah. It's not some Hallmark movie yeah. where you expect what's going to happen next. Yeah. Even though there wasn't a super crazy plot, nothing really jumped out at me uh-huh. throughout the movie. It, it was a good movie, and it was different than the rest, and I think that's, I think that's why you liked it. <laughs> yeah. This is why I like this movie. The first thing is, you have to realize, 1977, romantic comedies were not as big a genre, it's not as stable of a genre as they are now. But also, romantic comedies were rarely good or done right or as um, descriptive or suggestive as or as sometimes even vulgar as this one is. Kind of exploring that dichotomy between like men and women in relationships in a way I don't think had really been explored on film, period, up until this point. The biggest thing is when people come and they do this project with me and they're like, oh, I don't think it's that good. I always ask, what movie would you put in its place? What do you think is better? I guarantee you, if you point to a movie that is better... It's probably directly influenced by Annie Hall. Okay. Because the movie I love so much, When Harry Met Sally. Very similar almost to the point where you would just have these two leads and, you know, that one kind of reverses the formula where they do belong together, but they don't know Mm. it. And you're just kind of exploring the mind of a woman and the mind of a man and love. Different ways they express those emotions. But everything down to the soundtrack is very similar to Annie Hall. Even the costumes. Annie Hall really set the template of how a romantic comedy is not only done well, but how is it done effectively to where it's not just this shallow love story, but it's letting you kind of get into these people's heads. But I might also, I mean, it's so subjective because I might also just feel that way about the movie because I love it. More specific things I love, I love the language of it. I love how he's interactive with his audience. I think that does so much. It's so mm-hmm. compelling to me. It, drag, it draws me right in. I struggle with Woody Allen a lot. Because I would say he is one of the filmmakers that appeals closely to my type of entertainment. I feel like Woody Allen now, just kind of rambling, like not being able to put my thoughts together. But I've seen many of his movies and I've enjoyed almost all of them, which really pains me because there's this guilt attached to it. And so I guess we can just go ahead and get out of the way now. Corey, you already kind of know. Yeah, how he... um... Did he sleep with his girlfriend's daughter and then marry her? So or did he break up with his girlfriend first? No. Oh, I mean, <laughs> neither of those are good, but I'd love to get the mm-hmm. what happened in the situation. So Woody Allen was dating Mia Farrow at the time, and they dated all through the 80s. I want to say they were together for almost 12, 13 years. Wow. They never married. Mia had many adopted children that she brought into the relationship, and then I think they adopted one child together... They had a child together, Ronan Farrow, who we'll also talk about. I think it was early 90s, Woody developed a relationship with one of Mia's daughters, an 18-year-old named mm. Suni Previn. 
And Mia found nude photos of Suni in Woody's apartment while they were still together. Oh, wow. that's horrible. How old was Woody Allen? He was in his 40s. Oh. And she's 18. Yeah. yeah. And the craziest thing is while this is ongoing, another story emerges. Mia Farrow accuses Woody Allen of sexually molesting their daughter, Dylan. Mm. And this stuff has been ongoing for decades. Um, psychologists have interviewed Dylan and they have said, no, we think that you didn't do it. We think some people think that Mia Farrow may have coached Dylan. But as we move on past the 90s, past the 2000s, when we move into this, the era of Me Too, Dylan says, no one believed me 20 years ago. I was raped by my dad. She brings it back to light. She did? When? This was um, just a few years ago. Oh. This was back in the late 2010s, I want to say. 2018, maybe, around wow. the time frame. The craziest part of this, the reporter who basically created the momentum behind the entire Me Too movement and really cracked down on the Harvey Weinstein scandal is Ronan Farrow, Woody Allen's biological son. Wow. Uh, Yeah. They're all involved. Yeah, that is a complex... It's a very convoluted story. Especially, it gets even more confusing. So many people don't even think Ronan Farrow is actually Woody Allen's son. So many people think that Ronan Farrow is Frank Sinatra's son. Because Mia Farrow was married to Frank Sinatra for a brief period back in the 60s. This story's wild, okay? Basically, Woody Allen has lost a lot of the merit he once had in Hollywood. Amazon recently cut a deal they had with him. His autobiography publisher dropped him. He had to find a new publisher. He's kind of done. And I've had to struggle making the decision for myself. Do you make a differentiation between an artist and their work? Am I allowed to still enjoy this? Or am I condoning bad behavior? What do you guys think about this? I think you're allowed to enjoy this movie. You need to not praise Woody Allen as much as... I don't know. It's it's very mm-hmm. It's a very thin line between, you know, I really like this movie, but look at what it came from. Yeah. This kind of occurs a lot today Mm -hmm. you know especially as our society's calling out more scandals like that and Mm -hmm. you know bringing the the me too movement and you see a lot more celebrities and famous people who you have to just rethink their entire Mm -hmm. career and what they've made and you know things that you've enjoyed in the past or that are considered great films great whatever they do and you just have to differentiate that with what they've done Mm-hmm. And you have to take into consideration, you know, cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> that's yeah. a big deal right now. So you have to differentiate between are they just getting, quote unquote, canceled for something that they might have done? Or is this something that they have done that truly hurt another person mm-hmm. and isn't just some social media scandal? Mm-hmm. I think you need to take that into consideration when choosing what to yeah. support. The responsible thing is to address it. I'm never going to come to a clear, concise you know, decision about it because it's very gray. Mm-hmm. Um, Woody Allen was never charged with his crimes. For example, with Harvey Weinstein, if you stop watching every movie Harvey Weinstein ever produced, your film selection is going to become smaller. <laughs> you know, the amount of times that consumerism still supports terrible people, we, don't, we have no idea how many really terrible people we're supporting with our money. It's, it's hard. Yeah, it comes down to if I stop supporting every person that ever Mm -hmm. was accused of or did anything wrong, Mm -hmm. I would never support anything ever again. (laughs) Yeah. So, would are you okay with liking this movie still? Sure. Maybe not Woody Allen himself, though. Yeah. Well, I think another thing to think about is that, you know, it was 
this film was created by Woody Allen and he starred in it, but he's not the only person that put in time and effort. And, That's a really good point. You know, dedication into the film. So are you going to completely disregard it just because of his actions or are you going to appreciate, you know, all the work and mm-hmm. other people? Also, for the record, Woody Allen has publicly said, yeah, I took photos of Mia Farrow's young daughter. Yeah, I had an affair with her. I mean, he owns it. And that's disgusting. But that's reason enough to me. Just the fact that you even did that to a child still. 18 years old, you're legal, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you could still easily be groomed into that relationship. That alone is reason enough to make us step back and be like, okay, what kind of message are we sending to people when we ask them to see this movie with us when we actively like try to watch it it's a really hard argument to have and it's a hard balance i think to find and it's sad that we have to live in this world where we have to make this decision over things that should just bring us simple joy right you can't expect someone to look through all the background information of everything that they ever so I guess we'll just finish the conversation by saying we don't have all the answers. And we never will. We never will. What Caitlin said, yes, I don't want to support this guy, but I do want to enjoy things that are designed to be entertainment. And I want to support people who who are, who are great people. Diane Keaton, she's an icon. She's never done anything wrong. <laughs> right. So why would I throw away the movie completely? Yeah, and she was amazing. That's all her movie, hard work too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I guess we can get back and we can segue back into the actual movie. Right. This movie won four Oscars. Best Picture. Beat Star Wars. Yeah. They beat Star Wars. I was about to bring that up. They beat Star Wars. They beat Star Wars. Uh, I don't know if I can back that up. I'm a big Star Wars fan. Me too. Another thing you have to keep in mind, though, is the Oscars are not going to go out and likely award a big action. Yeah, Star Wars isn't really Oscar material. But with that said, the the Academy is also not going to go out and reward a romantic comedy, which is why this this win is really rare. Woody Allen won Best Director. Woody Allen won Best Screenplay. And Diane Keaton won Best Actress. Woody Allen's only gone to the Oscars once, ever. And it was right after 9-11, because he was promoting filmmaking in New York. But yeah, I don't think he ever even picked up his award. I'm not sure, but the um, the distinction meant nothing to him. Did you find this movie funny? I think this movie's laugh out loud funny. There were the most <laughs> cultural references of any movie I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. And they're all, like, references to the 70s, so you're, like, have no idea what they're... It's like, let me scramble and look up what this means <laughs> so I can laugh. Let me rewind so I can laugh. I think there are definitely times that I, like, laughed out loud. I think in the awkward moments, I was like, yeah. Because it was so realistic. Yeah, and this movie's made in the 70s. I mean, you have to think about it. This movie's aged pretty well. The the joke still holds up. I wish I was a guy just so this could be more applicable, but, you know, don't knock masturbation. It's sex with someone I love. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's a great joke. That is good. I also love the joke where she calls him over to get the spider, and we laughed out loud yes. at this, and he's like, oh my gosh, honey, he's like, I've been killing spiders since I was 30, like, <laughs> yes. I've got this. He goes into the bathroom, nope, that's a big spider. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Buick. They play it completely straight. Christopher Walken's in this movie, this is one of his earlier, like, his earliest movies, and I just love when he's like, whenever I see the headlights approaching, I just want to turn into oncoming traffic. <laughs> Instant cut to Woody Allen's face, yes. and he's just so afraid They're white-knuckling it in, the in that car. <laughs> It's, you see, we're looking back and we're like, it's funny. There's, it's crackles and I love it because there's something in here for everybody. Like we talked about the experimental stuff. If you like more of that, there's a lot of just really witty dialogue, heavy jokes that you really have to be paying attention to get, but they land. And there's some great physical humor when he sneezes and the $2,000 cocaine goes everywhere. 
when they showed it to test audiences, it got such a big laugh that they had to extend that scene. <sighs> so people wouldn't miss what was coming up next. Wow. Because that was, I mean, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> they were in stitches. Yeah, yeah. Another thing is... Woody Allen set out, I think, to make a murder mystery was his intention. Annie Hall, that entire storyline, was kind of just like a side plot that he was going to include in this big, I guess, grandiose movie about this murder mystery, which he ended up rehatching, I think, the 90s with Manhattan murder mystery, which is another movie that starts Diane Keaton, if you're ever interested. <laughs> but it didn't work for one reason or the other. The editors put this movie together in post-production, which is pretty crazy to think about. Wow. What we see when we go and watch this movie is not at all what Woody Allen intended to make. I think that's why this movie is told in this very inconsequential, you really have to kind of keep yes. up. It, it can be very confusing at times. I mean, it you, was Yeah, you look confusing. up in their, in their past lives and you're like, hang on a second. <laughs> yeah. You can't differentiate their past life from their present life because they look the exact same. I will say that is one criticism I have with the movie. They do very little to remind you where you are in the story. That was rough for me. I think mm -hmm. that played a big part in my confusion. Did y'all catch that Alvy ends up driving Annie away without him realizing it? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch it the first many times I watched this movie, which is really stupid because it's not that subtle. But it was this time I watched it for real that I realized, like, he's causing these problems for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something I really relate to as well, especially as a girl. So how often do you meet a guy that is trying to recommend things to you or trying to give you unsolicited advice or trying to improve you in this way? Which is 100% what he does to Annie. I mean, most of the time it's a guy shaming me for not being able to drive a stick shift, which is not <laughs> what he does here. But he's giving her books to read. He's saying she needs to go see a therapist. She, he's telling her to go to college courses, yes. adult college. He's yes. saying you she need to get out there. She doesn't want to do that. Yeah, he's saying you need to go perform more. And then she becomes a great performer and she gets a great offer to go perform in LA and he struggles with it. She makes all this progress in therapy and by doing so, she begins to outgrow him. Yeah, he builds her up so much, but then mm -hmm. when you see that she's towering over him, he's, I feel like he's so insecure about himself Yeah, that he ends up driving her away in the end. Right, totally. The scene where they're seeing a therapist, it looks like it's a visual effect, but really it's just a soundstage and they divided it. And so they're both playing mm -hmm. off each other, bouncing off each other. And I love that, you know, how often do you have sex? Oh, rarely ever. Three times a week. Constantly. Three times a week. <laughs> yeah. Just this really great kind of analysis of the way a man versus a woman assesses their relationships, I guess. Talking about this now, it makes me think, oh, yeah, there are some very good things about this movie that I, like, didn't appreciate when I was mm -hmm. watching it. Because some of these things, I'm going to be honest, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. And then, like, we talk about it, and I think, oh, that is a really good way to, mm -hmm. you know, express some of the messages and the themes and to just play off this whole plot. The way the movie ends, where he's going on to direct his own play, his first play ever, and he has his two main actors fall in love and stay together yeah. even though they have these obstacles they're over they're able to overcome them that's a great you know thematically that works really well because it goes to show you like the fact that this relationship didn't work out it's not something i have closure about it's not something that i'm okay with i know societally people want to see people fall in love and stay together as well and so he goes and he makes this play in which the characters obviously do stay together and I guess that's his way of almost manifesting this relationship that never was. He doesn't try to vilify Annie. At least he doesn't try to make her out to seem like some prude, true, that just outgrows him and dismisses him and discards him. I think he makes it pretty clear that he is the reason for the downfall. Yeah. Not until the very end, though. 
Yeah. <laughs> Not until the he very He drags end. her along. <sighs> he really does. Yeah. Something that didn't really make sense to me in this movie is he's supposed to be a famous comedian. Why are people not more stoked to meet this guy? <laughs> there was only one scene yeah, where yeah. they were like, look, at, look who it is. Yeah, they showed him. Ex- singer. Yeah. He's on <laughs> Dick Cavett, and, you know, Annie meets him for the first time, and she's like, oh, whatever, la-di-da, la-di-da. <laughs> I liked the spider scene. Not even just because it was funny, but I, I thought it was a nice, like, raw moment. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, because yeah. they were it was one of the periods, you know, where they were going through a hard time and they blended humor and just like raw emotion really well, in my yeah. opinion. Because I think it was one of the times that stood out to me most where you really see their relationship and their love for each other. I mean Woody Allen's not a great looking guy naturally. <laughs> Diane Keaton's fine, but they don't really gloss her up. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I that, I noticed out. that like the costume design, they they never really look perfect. No. Mm-hmm. Their hair's always frizzy. The shirt's maybe a little too big. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays along really well with just the movie in general because it is awkward and there are scenes where the dialogue's not perfect or there are scenes where they're just witty comments talking back and forth. You yeah. Know? That's realistic and... I feel like the costume design really played with that. Really adds to this level of authenticity. And even the cinematography, it looks like you could just see the scene in real life. Mm-hmm. You could just see these people walking through the streets of New York in real life because they look so normal. Yeah, and I think Woody Allen, as a filmmaker, has always really prioritized doing things the most practical way possible. Did you notice that like, the opening title sequence has no visual effects or music or sound of any kind? Nope. It's He's just, just talking to the camera. Yeah, that, well, that's how it opens. But like before that even starts, the title sequence is just names on a black background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think his reasoning is you know, people aren't here to watch a fancy opening title. I'm not going to blow part of my budget on that. I mean, there, there's so many great cameos in this movie from would-be stars. Sigourney Weaver is his date at the very end. Jeff Goldblum is the guy who at the party is saying, you know, I forgot my mantra. The girl from The Shining. That was yes, Shelley Duvall is in this movie. Because I'd never, I've never seen her in anything else except for The Shining. But yeah. I liked the way that they talked and conversed. I feel like that was another really realistic part of the film is that they stuttered so much and they were so awkward with their words. Like after they play tennis and she's talking to him and like, yeah, oh, do you need a ride home or can you give me a ride home? But she has her car. I. I think that was a very, I, I don't know. That's how I would talk to someone. Yeah, you know, when oh, you're a girl I, I have a car. Oh, yeah. where are you going? Downtown. Oh, I'm going uptown. Oh, wait, no, I'm going uptown. I'm going uptown, too. too. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it was, I mean, she's a girl. She's interested in the guy. Obviously, you're going to be nervous and you're going to stumble. And I think she did that a lot of times throughout the film very well. Uh, you know, they didn't talk perfectly. They didn't have this boys dialogue. Mm-hmm. I hope that this movie would go on to, and I'm sure it did, would influence other movies to take a few notes from this and have your characters look like real people, have them behave like real people, have your dialogue sound like something somebody would actually say, because it really, to me, is part of what makes this movie. Yeah, like when they had the subtitles of what they were actually thinking, Mm -hmm. whenever they were talking to each other, I was like, yeah, (laughs) you know, that's kind of, that's real life. Mm-hmm. People stutter and ramble on when they're nervous and they mm-hmm. like someone, but they're yeah. really thinking like, man, can we get this conversation over with? 
Another big influence from this movie is um, Diane Keaton's kind of gender androgynous wardrobe. A lot of women would go on to replicate, you know, the hats and the ties and the vests. They also live in New York, which I don't know how it was in the 70s, but when I think of New York today, I think people dressing however they want and it not mattering, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of that liberated, yeah. We we live in Texas and nobody dresses out of the ordinary, I feel. Mm -hmm. But then you associate New York with fashion and, you know, individuality. So, any more thoughts? Um, just like I said in the beginning, this movie really was not, you know, on my top list, Mm -hmm. really. Um, the plot was nothing insane to me, but I think that's also what makes it sort of almost like a, like a comfort movie. Yeah. I feel like I would definitely watch it again if I was, you know, if I was doing the dishes, because... (laughs) doing my laundry or something because it really is just a nice movie to watch it's funny i mean it's not easy to follow but i've already watched it to where i was paying attention so if i were to watch it again i would definitely just turn it on because the dialogue's funny witty i love the costume design i would watch again and there's always that you know thing where you watch a movie again and you take away more from it every time you watch it so i definitely want to watch it again at some point just because I think I can definitely take more away and understand it more as it was meant to be interpreted. I definitely think I would watch it again just so I could kind of understand it better. Now, after talking about it, that there is a reason it's on the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was my question is, after having this conversation, do you have more of an appreciation for it? I think I do. I, I do. I feel like I took away a different perspective than normal rom-coms that I would usually watch because Uh I love watching those cheesy (laughs) rom-coms on Netflix where, I mean, they're obviously going to get together in the end, but something has to happen before that end result comes. But this one was different and it was almost, it was almost like liberating to Uh watch because you really didn't know what was happening. It's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about the awkwardness in this film of like their interactions but i think it's a much better awkwardness than you see in more current romantic comedies where it's like that's just bad writing it's forced yes yeah, it's, too forced. it's just I felt like this was almost natural yes like it's well that's you know it's realistic it's how people talk it's people are awkward my thing is this movie's over 40 years old now and I have yet to see another romantic comedy that is as unique. It was definitely unique. I mean, sure. this movie came out 40 years ago, and romantic comedies have yet to reach this level of experimentation that works, um, creativity. I think the closest thing I've seen, romantic comedy-wise, that kind of replicates this formula effectively would be 500 Days of Summer. And that's another movie where the leads don't end up together. Coming in. I've never seen it. Have <laughs> oh, you? No. I'm Thanks so sorry, guys. Come on, Berkeley. Well, 500 Days of Summer spoils it for you right up front. Similar to the way this movie does. You know, you go into this movie knowing that him and Annie are not going to be together. Yeah. So, that wraps up our thoughts. I really recommend it. But also, I'm glad we got to talk about Woody Allen's legacy and how that really paints um, our perception of this movie. Because it should. Because we shouldn't excuse that. No. And we shouldn't sweep it under the rug for sake of enjoying what I think to be a good movie. So I hope you all join us next week when we complete the project. We're covering the very last film, but the American Film Institute has deemed the best romantic comedy of all time. It's Charlie Chaplin's City Lights. Corey and Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank yes, you. Yes. Yes. yes, and now we're going to just cut to its silent closing.